I want to share a message with you. In 1970, there was a song released on the, on the album Let It Be by the Beatles, and the song was called The Long and Winding Road. It was written by Paul McCartney in 1969. There was a lot of controversy and a lot of mess around the recording of that song, but the song, literally, the, 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 the meaning of the lyrics and why he wrote it was because the Beatles, at the end of the 60s and coming into the 70s, were just really tanking at that point. They, even though their record sales were high, they were famous and all that, but relationally, they had absolutely destroyed themselves. They were in turmoil. They were fighting. They were firing and hiring managers uh, week in, week. I mean, they could not get anything right, drugs, the whole bit. And they were shattered. And he wrote this song called The Long and Winding Road, sitting in a cottage in Scotland with just him and a piano. And he began to just pour out his heart. And what he began to realize is that the only thing that mattered as they went through this long and winding road, and the only thing that was going to make them hang in there and make them last for the long haul would be love. Their love for one another. Unfortunately, that did not pan out, and they disbanded. Now, they're famous. They've made music history. They were part of the British invasion that came over to America, and, and all that, and, we, and it's, it's in history now. But at the end of the day, they were not able to last over the long haul. Now, their music has survived, but they have not. And it was because sometimes all you need is love. They didn't have a lot of love going on. They were not able to make it for the long haul. What I'm concerned about today are Christians, believers, Christ followers, who are not able to last for the long haul. The last thing we need in the church of Jesus Christ that is supposed to be an army marching, taking the good news, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the cross, the finished work of Christ. The last thing we need are people that are bottle rockets by nature. You know what a bottle rocket is, right? Bottle rockets are fun. My goodness. But how many of you know they don't last very long? In fact, a bottle rocket lasts about four to five seconds on a good one. But most of them last about two or three. You know what I mean? You light them, then what happens? They pop at the top, and they just come down in shards. It's like, grab another one. And a lot of times it seems like the church is like, we just got a bunch, a handful of bottle rockets. Like we just been down to the black cat stand and got all these, man, all right, well, one burns up, we'll get another one. And what happens is, is we run through people, and we run through people, and we wonder why there's a big open back door in the church. Because people get burned up and burned out. Why? Let me tell you why. It's because unless you connect to Jesus first, not the church, not just a cause. Now, we are all about the mission after we are connected to Jesus. But you get connected to the mission before you're connected to Jesus, and the chances of you lasting will not. Because let me tell you something. You can only go on adrenaline for so long. I don't know about you, but I love getting new stuff. Man, I get excited. The little brown truck pulls up. I don't know about you guys. I love UPS and FedEx. Man, they pull up. I, just, I get all giddy and excited. It's like Christmas. I'm going to get something, and usually it's something for Annette. But I'm excited anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's guitar, she said. No, it's guitar. So I do get excited about that. But, but when that truck pulls up, I mean, there's just something. It, it, but let me tell you something. The adrenaline only lasts so long. The pump's short. And what we want to produce as a church of Jesus Christ are people that will last over the long haul, that will last down the long and winding road, and that won't look back and go, boy, that was awesome back then. Do you remember how amazing it was? Do you remember the good old days? How many of y'all know the good old days are usually 
get a little bit magnified, blown up in our mind, and they really weren't the good old days when you were back there. In fact, the good old days were really a time when you were longing for good new days. But somehow when we get down, nostalgia and all that it makes us go, oh, wasn't that awesome? And I'm going, mate, you were complaining back then. See, we want to see believers. We want to see you. Look, look at me, please. We want to see you rooted and established. We want to see your roots go down deep. Because let me tell you something. The winds will blow. The flood waters will rise just so that, like they are in Australia right now. Mudslides in California. I mean, stuff will happen. The ground will become shaky upon which you stand. And if you do not have a good foundation, if you do not have a good foundation, then when those things come, you will not last. Nothing more sad to me as a pastor than to talk to people at this altar. and People come up after a service. They're so excited. Man, the words lit something up in them. The worship's engaged something. Pastor Rich has stirred something up. We clapped. We shouted. We cried. We had a good time. And they come up and they're excited. And I always go, now listen, I'm not trying to bust your bubble. But you're going to wake up one day and you won't be so excited. So what we need to do is pace ourselves for the long haul. Because we, we're excited about your excitement. I love enthusiasm. I'm an enthusiastic person by nature. But let me tell you something. I've learned something in my few years of being around. That enthusiasm will wear off. And what will last has got to be something deeper. And let me just say it this way. All roads, all roads lead to discipleship. Listen to me. All roads lead to discipleship. All roads lead to discipleship. Jesus gave us this command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What we are about is building disciples who make disciples. What is our goal? It's transformation, change, real-life change. What is our strategy? Discipleship, foundations, the core of who we are. Now, let me tell you something about people who last over the long haul. It doesn't mean that these are people who have not had failure. For example, let me give you some stories. There's a guy named Steve Jobs who invented a little computer called the Apple. He, he, the iPhone. Have you ever heard of an iPhone? iPad. iPod. iPod. I'm resisting. Be careful how you hang those things out there because... Listen to this. You always hear about a long road to the top, and I want to share this story with you. I want to read it because I want you to hear something that sometimes failure can happen even after success, but let me tell you something. The power of perseverance, the power of endurance. Steve Jobs achieved great success at a young age. When he was 20 years old, Jobs started Apple in his parents' garage, and within a decade, the company blossomed into a $2 billion empire. Not bad for 10 years. In your 20s. However, at age 30, Apple's board of directors decided to take the business in a different direction, and Jobs was fired from the company he created. Jobs found himself unemployed, but treated it as a freedom rather than a curse. This is making an opportunity. This is taking a test and turning it into a testimony. Taking a mess and creating a message. Now look what he says here. He was fired. He treated it as the best thing that ever happened to him because it allowed him to think more creatively and re-experience the joys of starting a company. Jobs went on to found Next, a software company, and Pixar. Anyone ever heard of Pixar? 
the company that produces animated movies such as Finding Nemo, next was subsequently purchased by Apple. Not only did Jobs go back to his former company, but he helped to relaunch Apple's current resurgence in popularity. Jobs claimed that his career success and his strong relationship with his family are both results of his termination from Apple. Someone say, perseverance pays off. Say it again, perseverance pays off. Wherever you find yourself fired, not doing well, things aren't looking good, let me tell you something, God can turn it around. And I'm telling you, if it'll happen for somebody who's not following after God, can you imagine what it could happen for you? As you follow Christ. Anybody ever heard of American Idol? Simon Cowell. That's my favorite picture of Simon. (laughs) Simon Cowell is a pop icon. A very wealthy man. But early in life, Cowell faced his fair share of struggles. At age 15, Cowell dropped out of school and bounced around jobs. He eventually landed a job in the mailroom of EMI Music Publishing. Simon Cowell worked his way up to the A&R department and then went on to form his own publishing company, ENS Music. Unfortunately, ENS folded in its first year. Cowell ended up with a lot of debt and was forced to move back in with his parents. Oh. <laughs> but he never gave up on his dream of working in the music industry and eventually landed a job with a small company called Fanfare Records. He worked there for eight years. Someone say eight years. See, a lot of us, we want to become an overnight sensation. A lot of people will see somebody and go, wow, where did he come from? Let me tell you something. This is a man who paid his dues. And he sits in that seat because of that. Now look what it says. He worked there for eight years and helped the company become a very successful label. From there, Cal spent years signing talent and working behind the scenes before launching the American Idol and the X Factor, franchises that made him famous and a multi, I'm going to make this up, gazillionaire. It's not a real word. It just means he has a lot. Even though he is rich and successful, Cal continues to work on new projects. This kind of dedication, no doubt, helped him overcome his early roadblocks. Say, perseverance pays off. Now listen to this. Anyone heard of the Harry Potter series and J.K. Rowling? J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter books, is currently the second richest female entertainer on planet Earth behind Oprah Winfrey. However, when Rowling wrote the first Harry Potter book in 1995, do the math, that is not a long time ago, it was rejected by 12 different publishers. Even Bloomsbury, the small publishing house that finally purchased Rowling's manuscript, told the author to, quote, get a day job. At the time when Rowling was was writing the original Harry Potter book, her life was a self-described mess. She was going through a divorce and living in a tiny flat with her daughter. Rowling was surviving on government subsidies, and her mother had just passed away from multiple sclerosis. J.K. turned these negatives into a positive by devoting most of her free time to the Harry Potter series. She also drew from her bad personal experiences when writing. The result is a brand name currently worth nearly $15 billion. Say, perseverance Perseverance. pays off. off. 
Have you ever heard of a guy named Walt Disney? As a young man, Walt Disney was fired. You're fired. From the Kansas City Star newspaper because his boss thought he lacked creativity. He went on to form an animation company called Laughagram Films in 1921. Using his natural salesmanship abilities, Disney was able to raise $15,000 for the company, which back then would have been $181,000 equivalent today. However, he made a deal with a New York distributor, and when the distributor went out of business, Disney was forced to shut Laughagram down. He could barely pay his rent and even resorted to eating dog food. Someone say, that's Poe. <laughs> Broke, but not defeated. Disney spent his last few dollars on a train ticket to Hollywood. Unfortunately, his troubles were not over. Someone say, perseverance, perseverance. takes a long time. We'll say it pays off later at the end of the story. In 1926, Disney created a cartoon character named Oswald the Rabbit. When he attempted to negotiate a better deal with Universal Studios, the cartoon's distributor, Disney, discovered that Universal had secretly patented the Oswald character. Universal then hired Disney's artists away from him and continued the cartoon without Disney's input and without paying him. As if that wasn't enough, Disney also struggled to release some of his now classic films. He was told Mickey Mouse would fail... Because the mouse would terrify women. <laughs> Distributors rejected the three little pigs saying it needed more characters. Pinocchio was shut down during production and Disney had to rewrite the entire storyline. Someone say perseverance, perseverance pays off. Other films like Bambi, Pollyanna and Fantasia were misunderstood by audiences at the time of their release only to become favorites and classics later on. Disney's greatest example of perseverance occurred when he tried to make the book Mary Poppins into a film. In 1944, at the suggestion of his daughter, Disney decided to adapt the Pamela Travers novel into a screenplay. However, Travers had absolutely no interest in selling Mary Poppins to Hollywood. To win her over, Disney visited Travers at her England home repeatedly for the next 16 years. Sixteen years, he made the trip over the pond to get this screenplay done. After more than a decade and a half of persuasion, Travers was overcome by Disney's charm and vision for the film, and probably just flat wore out, and finally gave him permission to bring Mary Poppins to the big screen. The result is a timeless classic. In a fitting twist of fate, the Disney Company went on to purchase ABC in 1966. At the time, ABC was owner of the Kansas City Star, meaning the newspaper that once fired Disney had become part of the empire he created. I love that. Flip the script. Amen? Say, perseverance gets the last laugh. And all thanks to his creativity and a lot of perseverance. Here's our last character I want to share. His name was Noah. Here's a picture of a recreation. This was done in Switzerland. This actually a guy actually recreated 
the, the ark according to the biblical measurements of the cubits, which probably missed the mark because he was using a, a Middle Eastern measurement when in fact the Egyptian cubit was actually larger, and it was probably the larger cubit, so it probably would have been more like the Titanic in size and in nature if he had done it according to the Egyptian cubit. But I'd say it's a big boat. Noah was a man who was found faithful by God. The world was in shambles, in sin. Idolatry and anarchy was rampant. Noah was the originator of the vineyard culture and hero of the flood event. He was the ninth descendant of Adam and a strong family man. He found favor in God's eyes due to his piety and right standing before God and man. It was through his three sons that the entire human race would be reestablished and thus he is known as the father of mankind. God instructed Noah to build an ark, a boat, in the desert, not on a beach. You know, it would be one thing if Noah began building a big boat on a beach. I don't know that anybody would have thought much about it. But when you live in the desert and you start building a boat, either you're a nut job or God has really spoken to you. Now look what it says. Look what he says. This ark or vessel would serve as an instrument of deliverance and protection as God executed judgment on mankind for turning from him to follow after other gods. Noah was to gather specific animal types that would be used to replenish the earth after the devastation of the flood. God then blessed Noah and his family and gives them the command to multiply and replenish the earth. Thus, a new day dawns. A new birth, if you will. God has used one man and an instrument, the ark, to save mankind. The redemption story, a foreshadow of Jesus and his church. Let me just say something about moments in God. Because we're all about moments. We run to the next conference. We run to the next event. We run to, if somebody shows up in Abilene and the word goes out that some high-profile prophet's in town, my gosh, half of you are gone next week. And it's not uncommon for churches to bring in big names and market the big name to try to draw a crowd. Unfortunately, most people that are drawn to these events are not people who really need Jesus. They're church hoppers and church shoppers and cruisers and hitchhikers who go from place to place looking for the next moment. Let me say something about moments in God. And I'll just, it's, it'll be on your screen. Moments in God are great. Let me tell you something. They are great. There are times when you're down here at the altar. There are times when you're at a conference. There are times when you're in your prayer closet and God speaks and it's a moment in God. And they should be celebrated. Moments in God should be celebrated. But you don't build for the long haul on moments. Can I get an amen? If you build your life on moments, you will find yourself being a roller coaster Christian, a bottle rocket Christian, constantly going up in flames, excited, woo! Then we don't see you three months from now. Like, man, who was that? There are times in our staff meeting we go, where has so and so been? I don't know. Man, they were at the altar three weeks ago on fire, weeping before God. This was, and this church was the best thing since sliced bread. Come on. This thing was the best thing since the iPad was invented. And then they're gone. And the Bible says that those are the kind of people who have no root in themselves. 
So our passion here, please hear my heart. Our passion here isn't to create some trendy, hip church. If that was the case, I wouldn't be wearing a tie today. And I would tip my hair. I mean, it was just, I'd get a soul patch. Sorry, Jesse, you look good with one. But I, we're not just trying to create something to try to attract people. And then put on a show so everybody walks out feeling a little better about themselves. What we're trying to do is raise up an army of believers who will actually believe God with big faith, with passionate faith. Where, where 42 people will show up in prayer at 9.30 to believe God for you that are coming into this building and believe God for a city and believe God for a state and believe God for a nation and believe God for the world. That's what we're trying to raise up. We're trying to raise up people that will last on the long and winding road that will last for the long haul. Not people that are just given to pure emotion. Walking out going, that's a good service today. Well, what is good as last week? You know, I like the music selection better last week. Listen, we're not in here to evaluate. This isn't, this is not American Idol. Well, I don't know, a little pitchy on that one. I don't know, I think they need to, they need to change that chorus up a little bit. I, Pastor Jimmy would just kind of take this part out and put it over here and maybe, maybe not use that illustration and maybe not put himself down so much and maybe he should talk more about it. And if he went, blah, 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 blah. Good grief. We're not here to critique. This isn't a show. We're here to be equipped. You are here to be, first of all, to worship God. To have a moment. Now, we talk about moments. That is where we want to capture a moment. And that is the presence of God in a corporate environment. But beyond that, you're here to get equipped to do a job. And that job is that you go out and as a disciple, you become a disciple who makes disciples. Because you've been transformed. Because you've been changed by the good news of Jesus. Because you recognize that when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. And you realize that the blood of Jesus was shed for your sins. And you know you're forgiven. Not just hope. Oh, I hope I'm forgiven. No, no. You know. You know who you are in Jesus. That because of that, you now can go out and share that good news. That's called the gospel. With those that you touch. Those that God brings into your life. Amen? Amen. That is why we're here. But if you're here for a pump, and you're here for a little injection of just enough good news so I feel good about myself, you're here for the wrong reason. I love you, but I'm going to treat you like family. Here for the long haul, to make it. Can I get an amen? amen? God is looking for long obedience in one direction. Stable makes you able. Book of James, we're told that the kind of per- person that's tossed back and forth is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I don't know about you, but I'm at a point in my life where I I don't really want to have a lot of unstable people around me. I I, I need anchors in my life. Do you understand the value and the power of multiple anchors in your life? People that you know like a big ship pulling up to a dock you you can tie off to and know that that's not going anywhere. Those are the kind of people I value. Not the ones that are spectacular. Not the ones that can woo a crowd and wow a crowd and dazzle a crowd and, and, and make it. Not the ones that are on the cover of the latest evangelism magazine. Not the one that's, that's scoring big numbers in the Christian world, but the one that is stable, the one that is steady, the one that will be there no matter how hard the wind blows, no matter how much the waves beat against that house, they will be there for the long haul. 
Noah had something about him. And we don't know the exact time, but let me tell you something. To build a boat like Noah built took a few years. In fact, it took several decades. And we know that Noah preached a message of repentance. Let me tell you something. The gospel, the good news, is not just new in the New Testament. The gospel story, you know what the story or the actual meaning of the whole flood account is? We get so caught up on, well, was it literal? How big was that boat? Did he really get every species into the boat? I mean, we get so bogged down in the minutia. Let me tell you something. And a Hebrew could care less about the details of the story. Here's what a Hebrew understood about the Noah account. So while all these evangelicals are arguing about literal, non-literal, traditional, how much, how big, how, was it, which kind of cubit was it measured as, while everybody's arguing over that, a Hebrew reads the story and goes, my goodness, that's a picture of the Messiah See, because as Moses and his family entered into the boat and were saved and delivered, as you and I enter into Christ, we are saved and delivered. There's the message of Noah. But I'm telling you, a man that was tenacious, a man that persevered, a man that endured, can you imagine what he endured? Can you imagine him going to his wife? Honey, I've got, got something to share with you. I, I, I'm, I'm, feel, I'm starting to sweat thinking about this, really. I cannot imagine coming to Annette and saying, listen, I know we live in Abilene. We're nowhere close to a big body of water, and Fort Phantom does not count. <laughs> because the boat I'm going to build would, would, would actually displace that whole lake. But I'm going to build a boat because I've heard from God. Oh, you've heard from God. Okay, what did God say? Well, God told me to build a very large seagoing vessel. Okay. How much is this going to (laughs) cost? Everything and then some. But God will provide. And God's going to bring every species of every animal on the earth to us and get on the ark And then there's going to be a big flood. Can you imagine what Noah's wife was thinking? You know, we so dehumanize and depersonalize biblical characters. Listen, these were real people just like you. That God showed. The only thing that Moses had going for him is that he was a righteous man. That's all we know about the history of Moses. He was a descendant of Adam in the lineage. uh, No, I'm sorry. Noah was a descendant. Thank you, baby. I got all worked up thinking about you thinking what you would think about me if I'd said these things. <laughs> My mind was tracking in two directions. So Noah was a descendant of Adam, but he was a real person who God showed up and said, look, you're a righteous, faithful man, and I'm having a hard time finding any righteous, faithful people. I'm going to judge the earth, and you're going to be my instrument of salvation. You're going to build something that is going to carry the seed for the world. Can you imagine that? And then him having to relay that. Can you imagine him processing that? See, we think they're so inhuman that they were just like a robot. Okay, I will obey. I will obey. I will obey. No, he was a man that went, what? Did I just, okay, have I had too much wine? Was there something in those pomegranates that I didn't know about? I mean, what happened? I mean, he, he's struggling. You can imagine what he went through. Then he tells his family. 
They're like, can you imagine his teenage kids? Oh, Dad, whatever. As long as I don't have to work. As long as I don't have to do anything, you go build that boat. No, boys, you're going to build it with me. We're going to all build it. Many hands make a light load. So now the kids go from, come on, Sammy. The kids go from, my dad's a nutcase, to what are my friends going to think about me? You see, we think that these guys aren't real. We somehow depersonalize. You've got to understand, they felt everything you feel. Oh, it's a different culture, a different time. But you know what? Same hold in the soul, same spirit, the spirit of humanity. It's the same issues. It's never changed. So his wife's all tore up. Kids are all tore up thinking their dad's just a complete nut job. And then all the neighbors, all, all of his friends, can you imagine what they thought down at the country club? You're going to do your bill. What, what's those big timbers down there on your property? Well, I'm building a boat. A boat? There's no water around here. What do you mean you're building a boat? Well, God told me he's going to judge the earth, and so I'm going to build a big boat so that when the floods come, by the way, you can't get in the boat, only my family, but when the, cu- when the floods, so you better eat, drink, and marry while, be, be merry while you can. Enjoy your last 15, 20 years. So when the floods come, God's going to seal the door up himself by his own spirit, supernaturally, and we're going to be saved, and then we're going to float around for a year on the entire earth covered with water because the, the earth's going to give up and the heavens. And, and then at that point, then God's going to establish a covenant, and we're, we're going to get on down the road, and we're going to replenish the earth. And can you imagine what his friends thought? We do know that Noah preached a message of repentance and told people to repent because judgment is imminent. Let me just say something to you, very real. Just as judgment was imminent then, judgment is imminent again. Jesus said he would return. He will come again. And there won't be another ark or another deliverance. This will be final this time. And my question is you. You, know, you can laugh. They laughed at Noah. Now, I don't think he's coming on May 25th. I don't know if you saw the news, but somebody's decided they figured it out. <laughs> Again. Because they missed it before. So they readjusted their calculations, and he's coming back. As many people have done that. My Bible tells me that no man knows the time or the hour. Jesus himself said, I don't even know. <laughs> God even told me. I'm not even in. So if Jesus isn't in on the deal, I doubt we could figure it out with a little mathematics. You know what I'm saying? So I, I don't think he's coming May 25th, but he could come May 21st. We don't know. But let me just say this. He is coming back, and the question is, what will you do with your life and what you know you have? What will you do with Jesus now here? We get a clue what Noah did. Let me just give you some just three quick things that, that, that we learn about Noah. His life teaches us this. It teaches us the power of faithfulness. He was a faithful man. He was found faithful. Genesis 6-9, if you'll look at the scripture. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. This is all we know. Blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. Let me tell you, that doesn't sound deep, but you think about what that is saying. The word righteous simply means he was in right standing before a holy God. That means he lived exactly what it says, a blameless life. Let me tell you, we live again in a day where the world is going after other gods. Would you agree? We live in a time where it doesn't take a lot to stand out. You know, people, it's funny. Pastor, would you pray for me that I'd prosper in my job? I say, first of all, let me pray that you would work. Secondly, 
Secondly, hey, it's, I'm just speaking the truth. Some of you think I went from preaching to meddling. It's just the truth. We've got to know how to work with integrity, show up. Let me tell you something. If we'll show up and do what we're asked to do, what we're paid to do, and we will be righteous and blameless, let me tell you something. You will get promoted. Promotion will be all over your life. And the man can't keep you down. So funny. It's always somebody else. They, them, those, that group, that organization, those people. Let me tell you something. God has a way of promoting. And, and let me tell you, you got the recipe right there. Righteous, blameless, faithful, long obedience in the same direction. Psalm 1 3. I love Psalm 1, one of my favorite Psalms. Listen to this. He, this is, this is the kind of person I want to be. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You know what that is? That's a faithful man. That's somebody who has deep roots, and those roots are tapping into a running reservoir of water that never ends. Deep. Someone say deep. When I say deep, I don't mean all mystical and freaky either. We, we want to go deep. Ooh, man, we want to fly out there and touch the glory cloud. Let me tell you something. What's deep? What's deep is the person who doesn't cave in and quit when the glory cloud appears to move on and you're not hearing voices from heaven. You're not seeing, you're not in the holy fog anymore. You're not seeing glory balls flying around a church service or a conference. You're not falling down under the power anymore. All of a sudden, but that person... That's planted like a tree is stable no matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if you're hicking and hawing and excited and clapping and cheering and jumping up and down. It may be you're in a dry season right now, but you know this. It is well with my soul. You know God is faithful. You know God can turn it at any moment. And you hang on and you hang in no matter what it looks like. Now that's the kind of person I want to hang around. That's the person I want to mold my life after. Amen? You think Noah didn't go through some dry times? God, help me out here. Everybody thinks I'm nuts. My wife's about to walk out the door. I cannot imagine what he went through. Well, Dad, what are we doing today? Building the boat. <laughs> Ten years later, what are we doing, Dad? Building the boat. <laughs> Another ten years passed. Dad, what are we doing today? Putting the door on the boat. I mean, what do you do? Faithful. Faithful. I love taking words and breaking them apart. You know what faithful is? Full of faith. Full of faith. Faithful is to be full of faith. Full of faith that God can, that God will. Full of faith that I'm going to make it. I will break on through to the other side. I will. I will rise again. And though I fall seven times, I'm going to get back up. Amen? That's what faithful is. And that's what Noah shows us. Another thing Noah shows us is this the power of obedience. I mean, look what the Scripture says. It says this. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. I mean, what else do we need to know about Noah? Righteous, blameless, faithful, and obedient. He did everything just as God commanded him, no matter what people thought. No matter what it looked like. You know, we are so 
captivated by our culture. We're so worried about what some we're so worried about what a coworker will think about us if we mention Jesus. We're so worried that we bury the cross, we bury the blood, and we hide what we are. We do not let our light shine because we're so concerned. Because culture has somehow convinced you that to mention Jesus was somehow a hate crime. Or it might even be construed as as being ignorant and fundamental. And Lord, we don't want to be numbered like that. So what we do, we don't do anything. We don't say anything. Let me tell you something. I believe with all my heart that we are to live out loud in the sense that our life will reflect the cross. It will reflect life redeemed. But at some point, You have to open your mouth. Jesus said. And you don't make disciples by just living a good life. By being an example. You should be an example and you should open your mouth and preach the gospel. Speak the words of life. They're not life unless they're words. He said they're words and my words are life in John 6.63. Obedience. It's not a one-time shot. It's doing the right thing every day for a long period of time. We've been here eight and a half years, and we put a lot of seed in the ground. Oh, what a journey we've been on. Highs, lows, ups and downs. Man, I looked at a report the other day. We we forced Josh to clean his office out. (laughs) Hallelujah. And uh, glory, I'm about to preach. No, I'm just kidding, Josh. And he found some old documents, found an old report, and I'm, attendance, 475. I was like, 475? Eight and a half years ago. There's not 475 people here, have you noticed? But let me tell you what we have here now that we didn't have then. We have a healthy body. Because when I got here, it wasn't so healthy. Trust me, I met with several of you for about three months, letting you cut and bleed of the hurt, the frustration. So we've been through a lot in eight and a half years, but let me tell you what God is doing after eight and a half years of being faithful and being obedient. Long obedience in one direction. God is now beginning to, to say to Abilene, get ready because you're about to be the centerpiece for Texas for Every Nation Ministries. Let me tell you, God has plans for you. I can't even tell you everything because it would freak you all out and you might leave. So here's what I'm going to say. Just know that, that those in our larger every nation world, the Rice Brooks, the Burt Thompsons, the Kevin Yorks, the Jim LaFoons, all are looking at Abilene and seeing what we've done in just a little bit of going over to Louisville and helping a new church plant, not by writing checks, but by showing up and putting our hands to the plow. And they're going, there's something unique about that church in Abilene. Jim LaFoon told me a year ago, don't ever think that Abilene is not important to the larger every nation world and the mission of God in the earth. Abilene is critical and it's important because of our strategic location and the fact that we're still around after 20 years. So I want you to be, know that God is setting things up because we have been obedient and we have been faithful even when it didn't look great. Y'all have no idea some of the stuff I've had to go through and, and wake up and go, will anybody show up today? Will we be able to pay the bills this week? Will we be able to pay the staff? But we didn't quit. And I'm telling you, God is now beginning to write, oh, oh, I'm going to restrain myself. I'm moving right along. It's not a one-time shot. It is doing the right thing every day for a long period of time. 
It's from The Flywheel Effect by Jim Collins. He wrote a great book called Good to Great. You know where you're going from? You're going from good to great. Good to great. Say, I am. Going from good to great. The last thing here, very simple, is a God-centered life. Let me tell you something. This isn't about making God the priority of your life. It's about putting God in the center of your life. Because we're not talking about putting God at the top of a list, and then we have a little check box that says, all right, God's good, check. Have my quiet time, check. All right, now, family, church, sports, you know, whatever. We're talking about putting God in the center of your life, whereby everything orients around that center. So now God becomes the center of everything, the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His way of being and doing. And all these things shall be added to you as well. So we're talking about putting God in the very center. This is what Noah did. Listen to this, Genesis 7, 5. And Noah did all. Someone say all. No sense to say Noah did mostly what God said. We wouldn't be reading this story. This would not have been an event if Noah did 90% of what God said. How many, what's the percentage of what you do? If you were to grade yourself and say, every time God speaks, I, and then you put a, you put a number to that, 70%, 50 40%. See, if Noah hadn't done all that the Lord commanded him, we wouldn't be reading this and going, wow, look what God did. God delivered the entire human race and the animal kingdom through one man's obedience. Sounds a little like Jesus, doesn't it? Through one man's obedience. And you need to understand that the story of Noah is the story of Noah is the story of the gospel. One man obedient, one man righteous among those, a world that's unrighteous. It is the gospel, it is the good news. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now, shoot my approach, the gears are down. Lights are on. We're coming in. We're calling the ball. Here's the deal. Jesus Christ gave his heart, his soul, and his very life for you. For you. Did he give his life for the world? Absolutely, but he gave it for you. Where would you be had he not have interrupted those of you that know Christ, where would you be if God had not showed up? Where would you be if you had never heard the good news, the gospel? Where would you be? There's a world looking for answers. And are we living in such a way that God can use us? I'm not saying that you've got to know all the answers. you just got to know the one who knows the answers. This isn't about having it all figured out. It's about a ministry of presence. It's about showing up. It's about being there and then being so yielded to Him that He can literally speak through you and bring life answers. Bring real answers for real life with the people you work with, the people you do life with, the people you've grown up with. Those are the really fun ones to talk to. I remember you when... And I'm like, yeah, I'm not that person anymore. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? 2011 is here. And you can, at the beginning of this year, say, you know what? I may not be perfect, but God is perfecting me. I'm in the process. I'm on the journey. 
And I am determined to be faithful. I'm determined that if Noah can do it, I can do it. Now, I'm not saying God's going to make you build a big old boat. But God will have an equally interesting plan for your life. And it may not look like anything you think it's going to look like. Because a lot of times we'll see God's plan for other people and we think that's going to be ours. I want to do that. I aspire to do that. God may have another plan for your life. The plan that God has for my life is is even beginning to open up just this year and I'm beginning to see new possibilities and bigger, broader things. And I'm like, that is not something I would have planned. That's not something I would have thought to do. But because I've made up my mind, I want to be faithful for the long haul. And that down this long and winding road, I'm just going to say, yes, Lord. Then it is opening up things that I never dreamed of. It's opening up possibilities that I could have never personally opened up myself. But let me tell you what's getting me there. It's not being cool, not being hip, not being smart, not positioning myself, politicking, or working a room. It's simply being faithful with what I know to do right here, right now, with what's in front of me. So I'm asking for a commitment from you today, and that is to be faithful with what you know. Not faithful with what you don't know. I'm talking about being faithful with what you know now. And then as you're faithful with what you know now, God will give you more. He will show you more. The Bible says that the steps of the just are ordered by the Lord. And He delights in their way. He delights in the very details of their life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You for Your Word. God, make us faithful people. Make us the kind of people that don't give up on the journey, that don't cave in, that don't quit when, the t- when it gets tough, that don't quit when the floodwaters rise, that though we may be bent, we will not be broken. We will not be broken. So, Father, even in this moment, we give you our worship. We give you our hearts. In Jesus' name, everyone said.